0: Well if you go for uh, a walk, I'm sure as it is in the Fishguard Road Estate where we serve, it is probably the same cure. You don't have to go very far until you come up against a poster for a lost pet. Uh, they usually look something like this, don't they? They've got the cutest picture known to mankind of the pet and then alongside the picture there goes a description. Uh, we've lost our brown dachshund. He has a white marking on his tail. He wears a white collar. It's 63 centimeters long. He answers to the name uh, Bruno. And there's also a dis- always a description that goes alongside it so you can identify uh, the lost cat. Or take the police when they're trying to uh, find a suspect. They will um, often issue a description. Someone they're trying to find and so it might be a female, a five foot nine female, last seen wearing a red hoodie and black jeans. A description given so that you can identify uh, the person. Or imagine you are uh, applying for a job. The employers will often uh, give a job description or a candidate uh, description. They're saying, well, what is the, who is the person that we're looking for? What is the person that we're looking for going to look like? And they might be, need to be punctual or be able to work uh, as part of a team, be respectful towards others, someone who takes initiative. It's as though they're saying, "The person we want looks like this, so that you can identify it if you're going to apply a description given in all three of these examples. What we have in verses three to 10 of Matthew chapter 5 is a description. Not a description of a dog, or a suspect, or or what the ideal job candidate would look like, but what a true, genuine, real Christian does look like. Not what they would look like, but what they look like uh, already. What does a genuine, true, authentic person who belongs to the kingdom of heaven as Jesus is going to be preaching about in this sermon, what does that kind of person look like? Sorry, you're to Turned it off the singing. I don't think I need to be uh, amplified anymore. Uh, why do I say that this is a description of what a true Christian looks like? Well, look down at verse 3 to begin with. It starts with this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then we get that word blessed at the beginning of every single verse until verse 11. What does blessed mean? What is Jesus talking about? Well, to be blessed in this context is to be someone who is receiving God's blessing, God's favor. A stronger word than just being happy. Rather, it's someone who is in a state of divine approval. That God is pleased with them, if I can put it that way. Not because of what they have done, but because of what God has already done in their hearts. There's another reason why I think this is a description of true Christians. Uh, Verse 3 again, blessed are the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of heaven. We get it again in verse 10, blessed are uh, those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for this is the kingdom of heaven present tense, not future tense. Uh, Jesus is giving us a description of someone who already is a Christian, someone who already has the kingdom of God. He's not saying, do all these things and you will become one. I i can put it this way for those of you eagle-eyed uh, in front. Uh, I've got brought a, a mirror with me today. I hope you can still see that online. It's as though Jesus is holding up a mirror in this passage. What do you see in a mirror? That's not a a rhetorical question. What can you see in a mirror? A A reflection. You see your reflection, don't you? And in this passage, it's as though Jesus is holding up a mirror, and he's asking us all to look in the mirror today and asking us to to ask ourselves whether we can see the description that he's laying out in this passage. We're going to have to ask that searching question this morning. As Jesus paints this picture, paints this portrait of what a true Christian looks like, we're going to have to ask ourselves the question do we see ourselves in the mirror? We can push it a bit further. Jesus is going to give eight descriptions uh, in these verses. And the question we've got to ask ourselves this morning is, do we see at least a partial reflection of all eight of those descriptions that Jesus gives? Because Jesus is, is, we need to take all these uh, descriptions as a whole this morning. You might see one and think, well, I see a little bit of that in my life, but but that's not enough unless you can see the others as well. It is going to be a searching question that we have to ask. And as you ask that searching question this morning, if your answer is yes, then we are to be encouraged this morning because they are signs that we belong to the kingdom of heaven. They are marks that we are true Christians. If as we walk uh, through them this morning and your answer is no, I don't see at least a partial reflection of these things in my life. Well, I think we need to dig a little bit deeper. Firstly, you might need to ask the question like, well, have I ever shown these things in my life? Maybe I need some help to see them. Maybe I need to speak to an older, wiser Christian and ask them whether they see these signs uh, in my life. But if, as we go through this morning, you come to the conclusion, having spoken to an older, wiser Christian, that you don't see all eight of these descriptions, then it's likely that you don't have the kingdom of heaven. That is, that you don't yet belong to Jesus, that you haven't yet put your trust in him. Because Jesus is holding up a mirror in this passage, as it were, giving us a description of what a true, genuine, real Christian looks like. But I need, something, need to make something very clear right at the beginning. Jesus is holding up a mirror and not a door. What do I mean by that? He is describing what a true Christian looks like already. He is not saying, live in this way and you will enter the kingdom of heaven. That is crucial to understand. Jesus is describing what a real Christian already looks like not saying, if you behave in this way, you will become a Christian. He's holding up a mirror, not a door. He's painting a description, a portrait of what a genuine Christian uh, looks like. And we're going to see that it is a a topsy-turvy description. I don't know if you uh, remember, I think the last time I ate this, I was in primary school, pineapple upside down cake. Hands up if you've ever eaten pineapple upside down cake. Hands up if you've ever eaten it it outside of a school context. One or two, one or two. But the whole point of that cake is that it's upside down, isn't it? They cook it and they turn it upside down as it is served out. We're gonna see the description Jesus gives is topsy-turvy. It's upside down. It's not what we would expect to be, um, to be the description of a genuine uh, Christian. Now, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great uh, Welsh preacher, preached 11 sermons on these verses, and we are squeezing them into one. So, naturally, we're only going to be scratching the surface this morning, and there's only going to be a summary. And what I've tried to do is to group these descriptions together uh, into three groups, three categories. And the first is this. Christians are those who rely on God. Christians are those who rely on God what do I mean by that well let's head back to verse three Jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven poor in spirit not materially poor but those who have realized that they are spiritually poor You see, one of the greatest human problems is that we think that we're good enough for God. We think that as one day we'll come before him and be judged for all that we've done wrong, that that we'll think, well, we've done enough good in our lives to outweigh that wrong, and so we are good enough for him. Jesus is saying here in this passage that if you think you're good enough for God, then you cannot be a Christian. Because a true Christian is someone who is poor in spirit. A true Christian is someone who realizes that they have nothing to offer God. And it is those people who have the kingdom of heaven, who possess it, who belong to it and it to them. Uh, Several years ago, Portia and I, my wife, uh, were driving up the M5. We were going to uh, view a house in Wellington in Somerset that we were hoping uh, to rent. And it was a boiling hot day and so naturally we put the aircon on. Quite high because it was absolutely boiling. And I remember checking down um, to see the fuel gauge and it had about 25 miles on it. Plenty to get us to Wellington. A few seconds later I checked again and it had gone down to zero straight away. I don't know how that works but straight down to zero. We were running on empty. We had nothing in the tank. Uh, there were no junctions between us and our destination. We just had to get there. Now, miraculously, we did. I say miraculously. I guess in the, reality, the reality was that there probably was something left in the tank. It was showing a zero, uh, but there was something. You see, this story would be better. This story would better illustrate poor in spirit if we had broken down on that i five, pulled over with absolutely nothing in the tank. Because that would have made us reliant on someone else. We'd have had to pick up the phone, call the breakdown service, say, please come and rescue us. Please come and and fill up our car with petrol so we can make it on our way. We have nothing here. We are running on empty. That better illustrates what it means to be poor in spirit. A Christian is someone who realizes that they've got nothing to offer God. They've got nothing in the tank. And that makes them totally reliant uh, on God. A true Christian relies wholly and only on God. Wholly and only on Jesus Christ, on his life, on his death, on his resurrection. They trust in him and him alone. They rely on God. They're spiritually poor and yet as they rely on God, they become spiritually rich. This is The kingdom of heaven. I wonder this morning, as I get the mirror, which I'm going to do several times this morning, look into the mirror. Look at your reflection, see if I can angle it properly. As you look at your reflection, do you see someone who is poor in spirit? Someone who recognizes that they have nothing to offer God. A true Christian relies on God. A true Christian is poor uh, in spirit I used to work in the insolvency sector that is um, helping people or companies who've run out of money and so we had clients come to us in financial uh, difficulty and the advice uh, often would be to them to enter into what's called an IVA uh, an individual voluntary either agreement or arrangement I can't quite remember it was an, an agreement with their creditors the people they owed money to To accept usually a bit less than they owed them and over a period of time. But often those IVAs would fail. And the clients would come back to us, and alongside the accountants, we'd advise them of the best way forward. And often the advice would be to them your best option here is to declare yourself uh, bankrupt. Skip a few uh, slides. To just declare yourselves bankrupt. Why? Because it was a process they could go through where they'd be released from their debts. That someone else would take over and sort it all out. And after they'd gone through that process, uh, they could start afresh. They could have a new life. If you are not yet a Christian here this morning, your best option is to recognize and admit that you are spiritually bankrupt this morning. Stop trying to fix it. Stop trying to work yourself into God's good books. Instead, declare yourself spiritually bankrupt. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. And you'll find that you have a new start, a fresh start, a new life uh, to live. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, This category is Christians are those who rely on God because there is a progression as we go through to verse 4. We are going to spend less time as we go through on each one. Don't you worry. Uh, We won't be here all afternoon. The progression we get in verse 4 is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, in verse 3, but that leads them to verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That recognition that we're spiritually bankrupt as Christians leads us to mourning, to sorrow, to grief. Over what? Well, the background is Isaiah chapter 61. Let me read uh, some verses from the beginning of chapter 61. It says this, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, Instead of a spirit of despair. The context in Isaiah chapter 61 is God's Old Testament people in Zion, in Jerusalem, and they are grieving. They are mourning. Why? Well, because God has told them that they are about to be led out of their home, of their city, of their country, sent into exile. Why? Well, because of their sin because of their rebellion against God, because of their disobedience against him. And so they are sat in Zion and Jerusalem, and they are weeping for their sin. A Christian is someone who is poor in spirit, that they recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt, which leads them to mourn, to grieve uh, for their sin. Uh, Children, I, I wonder if you can remember the story that Jesus tells us, Um, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee goes into the temple and starts praying to God, and he basically thinks he's way better than everyone else. But there's another man there, and there's a tax collector. And he, I mean, there he's looking straight ahead. The story that Jesus tells us, that he's looking down, he's beating his chest, and he prays to God and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner that guy is poor in spirit and mourning for his sin. Not the Pharisee who thinks he's way better than everyone else, but the tax collector who grieves for his sin, recognizes that he's spiritually bankrupt, has nothing to offer but sorrows over his sin. True Christians are poor in spirit and mourn for their sin. If I could put it this way, uh, poor in spirit is something that can happen in our heads as we admit in our heads that we're spiritually bankrupt, being mourning for our sin is something that can happen in our hearts. As we sorrow over the sin that there is in our hearts as we have rebelled against God. But the promise, the promise that Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Again, Isaiah 61 fills uh, that in. Where does the comfort come from? Uh, it comes from the one on whom the Spirit of the Lord rests. The one who proclaims the day of the Lord's favor. The one who proclaims good news to the poor. In Luke chapter 5, uh, Luke chapter 4 even, Jesus proclaims those very words. He reads those very words and then says, these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is the one who comforts those who mourn uh, for their sins. You see, the Jews of Isaiah's day looked forward to that day where this Messiah figure would come to bring God's comfort. We as Christians living the other side of Jesus look back to that day where He lived, where He died, where He rose again to bring God's comfort to those who mourn for their sin. Let's look in the mirror again this morning. Try not to break it. It's my wife's mirror. I'd better not break it, had I? But look in the mirror. Look at the reflection of your own uh, body in the mirror this morning and ask yourself the question, are you someone who is poor in spirit? Are you someone who recognizes that they're spiritually bankrupt? And are you someone that that leads you to mourn to grieve for your sin. Because Jesus is holding up the mirror, as it were, in this passage this morning, and getting us to ask ourselves the question, is this me? Am I a true, real, authentic uh, Christian? we get a similar idea in verse 5, blessed are the meek, uh, for they will inherit the earth. To be meek is to have the right view of yourself, not to be uh, overly impressed with a sense of your own importance. Is to be humble, is to recognize that we're that spiritually bankrupt person and rely uh, on God. Uh, verse 6 says something similar. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, for they will be filled. That word righteousness can get translated in several different ways. I think Jesus means uh, two that we're going to look at this morning. It can be translated as justice. A Christian is someone who hungers and thirsts for justice, for God's justice. A Christian is someone who looks forward to that day where Jesus Christ is going to return and is going to right every single wrong. They long and rely on God to come to sort out uh, the problems of this world. Christians are those who rely on Uh, on God. Second category we're going to look at this morning, Um, Christians are those who are uh, righteous. Let's head back to that verse uh, 6. I think this branches both. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Food and drink are some basic human needs, aren't they? We desire them strongly we have a deep desire to be satisfied by them. And that's the, uh, the kind of message that Jesus is saying in this, in this verse in particular. That true Christians deeply desire righteousness. Both God's justice that will come in the future and a personal righteousness. They deeply desire to be rid of their sin and to live a life that honors uh, God's. Remember, we are looking at a mirror and not a door. A mirror, a description of someone who already is a Christian who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, not a door, not a live a holy life and you'll belong to the kingdom of heaven. That is not what Jesus is saying. But what Jesus is saying is that a true Christian strongly desires to mimic Christ that they're not content to keep on sinning uh, against him. Uh, What might that look like? Well, uh, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy is a concern or a compassion towards those in need. They are actions that flow from a heart changed by God's. If being poor in spirit can be thought of something in the head, something that we think, that we admit that we're spiritually bankrupt. If uh, if mourning for our sin can be thought of something in our heart as we sorrow over our sin, to hunger and thirst for righteousness and to be merciful are things that we do with our hands. How that heart changed by God is worked out in the way that we live. What might uh, being merciful look like, well, it might be buying a sandwich for that guy who sits outside the shop, homeless, as you head in uh, for your pint of milk. It might be actions that hit our pockets to, uh, to use what God has given us to have compassion and bless those who have less uh, than us. It might be helping at mercy ministries like a food bank uh, or other uh, uh, ministries like that in this church or in other um, organizations around Clodagh. But crucially, it is something that flows out from a heart that has already been changed uh, by God. But the promise that Jesus gives. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Remember, we are looking at a mirror and not a door. A description of what a true Christian already looks like, not steps to becoming one. But the mercy that we show now can give us confidence that we will one day be shown mercy by God. That what we do now with the heart that God has already changed can help us look forward to that day where Jesus Christ is going to return. And he is going to judge each and every one of us. And we can have confidence on that day that we will be shown mercy if we are showing mercy now not because that's the grounds on which we rely, but it's evidence of what God has already done in our hearts. There's a step before, if I can put it that way, that God has poured his mercy down into the life of a Christian, has so changed their heart that that works itself out in acts of mercy with those in need. And that can give us confidence on that day in the future Because it's evidence that God has done that first work in our hearts. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Verse 8, very, very... Oh, let me give you an example first. uh, Of uh, Jeremy, a friend of mine. He, uh, He was a student, and so he didn't have money, but he did have time. And so every Saturday night, he would give up that time to head down to the soup kitchen... Uh, and the homeless shelter that there was in the in the city where he was studying it wasn't flashy it wasn't glamorous wasn't an opportunity for a photo shoot no he was driven by his deep christian faith he didn't have money but he did have time and he chose to use that time to show mercy Uh, to those in need and so he can now have confidence as he looks ahead to that day where Jesus Christ will return that God has so changed his heart and his acts of mercy for others that he will be shown that mercy he is the one in need he is the one who is relying on God and so he can have confidence for that future day I wonder can you have confidence this morning Looking ahead to that day where Jesus will return. What's your confidence based in? It needs to be based in Jesus and him alone. Uh, what does a righteous life look like in other ways? Well, verse, uh, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's picking up some language from Psalm 24. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who's that talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He is the only one that is worthy to approach God. And yet Jesus gives a pure heart to Christians as they trust uh, in him. And so those who look inside and see a pure heart that Jesus has gifted to them can have confidence that one day they uh, will see God. They look inside and see a righteous heart, not their own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus that is gifted uh, to them. But the one I would just want to spend a little bit more time in uh, is verse 9. What else does a righteous life look like? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This verse comes up again in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, where God is the one who is making peace, making peace with us. But Jesus makes the point here that for those that God has made peace with, we are then those who bring peace to others. How are we peacemakers as Christians? Well, I could think of two uh, examples. We're peacemakers because we make known the message of peace. We tell other people how they uh, can be at peace with God. We take the good news of Jesus and spread it to whoever uh, may listen. How else might we be peacemakers as Christians? Well, we take steps to try and resolve conflict. Whether it's the scrap in the schoolyards or the argument in the workplace uh, or the fight within a marriage. Christians are those who can and do take steps to resolve that conflict. And so, let's head back to our mirror again this morning. And as Jesus tells us that a true, genuine Christian is someone who is a peacemaker, as you look in the mirror this morning, as you look at your reflection, are you someone who is a peacemaker? Are you someone who tells people how they can be a peace? with God? However small that message might be, however, whatever opportunity arises, do you take it? Are you someone who takes steps in whatever wise way it may be to try and resolve conflict between people? Jesus tells us that a true, genuine, real Christian is someone who is a peacemaker. We've looked at uh, three categories in these Beatitudes as they're known. Christians are those who rely on God. Christians are those who are righteous. Thirdly, finally, and much more briefly, Christians are those who are uh, ridiculed. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be persecuted is is to mean to be harassed for your beliefs i'll give you an example i read about pastor ahmed recently in algeria he uh, he's a pastor as you might have guessed and the authorities recently sealed the door to his church shut using some wax and maybe it's not come out very well in the photo so they couldn't get in then they threw him in prison for two and a half years Separated from his wife and from his kids. Why? For no other reason than he is a Christian. Now, to my knowledge, and I don't know you guys, uh, so maybe you have faced that level of persecution. But I suspect that most of us haven't. And so does that disqualify us from being Christians if Jesus is uh, painting this picture of what a true Christian looks like? Well, let's read on. In verse eleven. Jesus now uh, finishing the beatitudes formally, but turning to his disciples specifically, and says, "Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You have been ignored, or passed over, or the butt of a joke." Talks about behind your back because you're a Christian, because of righteousness, because the life that you are living, or because of Jesus in verse 11. It happens to true Christians. And so, ironically, when those things happen to us, uh, we can take great comfort. In fact, we can rejoice, as Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We can rejoice when we are ridiculed as Christians. Why? Because it is a mark that we belong to the kingdom. It is a mark that we are true Christians. It is a mark that we are heading to a glorious inheritance that has been won for us by Jesus Christ. We've seen that Christians are those who rely on God. Christians are those who are righteous. Christians are those who are ridicules. And so here is where the rubber hits the road. For the last time, look into the mirror this morning. As you look at yourself, do you see someone who is relying on God? Do you see someone, I forgot my second point, (laughs) who is ridiculed as the third one, do you see someone who is righteous? Do you see someone who is ridiculed uh, for your faith? If the answer is yes, and I would expect the answer to be yes with many of you, we're to be encouraged this morning. They are marks of a true Christian. They are marks that you belong to the kingdom of heaven. And as Jesus goes to unpack the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the way that we are to live as Christians, that is for you. It also means that we're meant to press into each and one of these things. All eight should be present, maybe just in shoot form, as it were. But we're to press into them and show them in increasing measure. What might that look like for you this morning and for this week to come? Well, uh, maybe you could write down the sins that you've committed against God in the last seven days. Name them and then take them to the Lord. Mourn over them. Confess them to him. And you'll be fine that you will be more of a person who is mourning for their sin. Maybe you want to press into being more merciful might want to get involved in any mercy ministries that this church is involved with uh, or other organizations um, outside of the church that are caring for those um, who have less than us. Maybe you want to be more merciful, press further into that. Or maybe you want to keep a keener eye out for conflict, wherever that may be, at school, at work, in the home, in the church even. Be someone who wisely and graciously takes steps Uh, to resolve that conflict. But as you've looked in the mirror, whether it's there or there this morning, maybe you don't see all eight of those descriptions in your life. At the beginning, I think the first step, if that's you this morning, is to dig a little bit deeper and ask yourself the question, have there ever been points in my life where I've seen at least a partial reflection of these things? You might need some help with that sometimes we're not very good at looking at our own lives and kind of assessing where we're at spiritually go and find someone in the church family or another trusted christian who's wiser maybe been being a christian for longer than you and ask them do you see these things in my life but if you get to the point where having heard what jesus says in this passage having asked other christians can you see them in, li- in my life? If you reach the conclusion that, no, I don't see at least a partial reflection, not even little green shoots of all eight of these things in your life, then it may be that you're not yet a Christian. Because Jesus is showing us what a true, genuine, real Christian looks like. If that's you this morning, please... Please, don't make the mistake of thinking that Jesus is holding out in these verses a door for you to walk into. He is not saying, behave in these ways, become more merciful, give more money to charity, try harder. He's not saying that. Instead, listen to what he says is the door into the kingdom. You see, just before the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts his ministry. In chapter 4, verse 17, he says, it says this, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That is the door into the kingdom. It is to repent, to turn around, to totally reorientate yourself, to turn away from your life of sin and to turn towards Jesus Christ. That is the door. Listen to what he says is the door. But for those of us who are Christians, I hope that has been encouraging this morning as you've looked in the mirror and that you've seen green shoots in each of these, that it is an encouragement that we belong to the kingdom of heaven.